Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us. intro uh because we realized we're uh-huh. going in this direction it's really exciting um we're really thinking a lot yeah. about how trends shape our lives i mean it just it's mm-hmm. like what we've been doing anyway we just you know we wanted to make it yeah. official <laughs> anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we kind of wanted to, to make it a little bit more about how trends define the world around us and kind of pull that apart in the way of nostalgia, but also, you know, um, micro, macro, you know, uh, past trends, present trends, you know, just, you know, not necessarily what we had originally, which was kind of, um, it was a little bit more immediate. And we are really kind of loving looking at it in this, in this like lens of really, um, I don't know, kind of like a, a historical perspective, you know? I would have to say that all of our examinations so far into past trends have actually made it even easier for me to see trends on the horizon. So we'll be talking about that as well, mm-hmm. but really just talking yeah. about, man, like like today we're going to begin a series on online dating and talk about a trend that has really just turned our lives upside down and has created so many micro and macro trends within it and continues to sort of evolve and change. And as a serial online dater who really has been, I I have been online dating since the 2000s. So, you know, you could definitely come to me. (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely tried a lot of different online dating apps. So I definitely will have plenty of things to say. I don't know, Amanda, have you actually tried online dating? I was thinking about that today. Very, very little, but I have helped my friends with it. I just, you know, you have experience. I do. I do. And, you know, Kim and I Mm -hmm. were talking about this as we were preparing for it. And it just said, you know, basically, Living in Portland, online dating was sort of unnecessary because you met people everywhere you went. And Mm -hmm. I definitely told Kim some stories of, you know, encountering people, characters, if you will, that my friend and I had seen on OkCupid (laughs) in real life and how awkward that was. Whereas, like, that wouldn't happen in a big city like L.A. and New York. But in Portland, it's just too small. So I just never really needed to then. And I did try it a little bit in Philadelphia a long time ago, and I tried it briefly in L.A., but by the time I tried it in L.A., I was like, you know what? I hate this. So we'll get into all of that as we move through these episodes, but definitely it was just like the amount of time I had to put into it, it just wasn't like yielding any results, you know, Mm -hmm. that I was happy with, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it is a lot of time, yeah, a lot of energy, yeah. and a lot of disappointment. But this is episode 36, um, and it is the first installment of a mini-series about online dating. It is, you know, it kind of transpires um, from the 2000s, mm-hmm. which is kind of where Amanda is going to be starting. Um, and we're going to talk about how online dating, how it changed 
within our, our kind of our lives and, and in the society and how it has evolved and how the trends have changed over time. Um, you know, you'll be able to kind of follow along, uh, along, you know, in our Instagram at underscore the underscore department. Um, and you can also find us online um, on our website, which is the department.world where you can find all of our show notes and our contact page, you can get our email, or you can, you know, write us funny um, letters and submit any sort of additional content, which you will actually be listening to pretty soon here as well. If you're actually enjoying the show, we definitely encourage you to leave a star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Also, please, you know, follow us on your preferred podcast streaming service, Spotify, Apple um, Stitcher. I know there's a bunch of them out there and obviously you're listening to us on one of them. So, you know, please follow us, follow along. We also want to remind you that we want to hear your 2000s online dating stories. I know you have them. You probably have so many that you don't even know where to begin. We already have a few. We're going to start sharing them in the next episode, but we want more. I, This is just such a complicated phenomenon, and we need to hear how your experiences have been. Perhaps listening to today's episode will inspire you, help you pick which story you want to share with us. You can call the hotline at 717-925-7417. You can also record a voice memo on your phone or computer and email it to us. Or you can also just write it all out and we will do a dramatic mm-hmm. reading of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. The, I, we could, you know, I think Amanda, you could read one of the characters. I could read another. Uh, it's theater. Just pure theater. It would be theater. <laughs> well, this week we have three messages. Um, none of them are about dating. Like I said, we're going to start sharing those in the next episode. But two of our messages are going to be about our movie episodes, which were three weeks ago now. And then the last one is a wild card that has nothing to do with that, but I'm excited to hear Kim's opinion on. So the first message is from Janelle. And I want to say that Janelle is a second time caller and she has a movie rental story to share. Hello, Kim and Amanda. This is Janelle calling. I'm just listening to your episode on movies and you guys are talking about renting a movie going to the store and I just wanted to share a story that I live in a small desert town in California and we had a video store and uh, up until COVID we would go there and rent movies and it was really fun to just browse around and look at all the movies most of the new releases you know I've never heard of Um, you know their their old movie section wasn't as good as uh, you know, like indie movie stores, you know, in the nineties. So, um, they didn't really have like a great selection, but it was still fun to go. And sadly during COVID they closed because of the town regulations or state regulations. And then they closed forever and they didn't reopen. And it was really sad. So that's it. I just wanted to share my story. I'm going to go back and listen to the rest of the pod. Thank you guys. Bye. It actually just reminded me so much of the, of indie movie stores in the nineties and the absolute loss of indie 
movie stores, not just blockbusters, but indie movie stores and how just amazing they were. I know. I mean, every Mm -hmm. neighborhood that was cool would have its own video store. Like Mm -hmm. in Chicago, Earwax was a coffee shop slash coolest video store ever. With the coolest people working there. Totally. You usually were friends with a lot of the people that worked there too. Yes. And you could almost guarantee that any film you got there was going to be really Mm -hmm. good. Although Mm -hmm. I do remember one time uh, my boyfriend at the time, Dylan's father, uh, went to Earwax to get us a movie. And I can't remember what he was supposed to be getting us, but it was something good. And he came home with Ace Bigelow. Male Gigolo, I believe that is the name of the Deuce. No, Deuce Bigelow. Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. How could I forget what a fine film? And he was like, no, I mean, if I just thought like, hey, yeah, it doesn't look good, but if Earwax has it, there must be something that we're missing. And we were like, okay, we put it in. I don't know if you've seen this, Cam, this fine work of cinema, but uh, it is horrendous. (laughs) It is. It is absolutely, absolutely horrible. It is unwatchable. It is unwatchable. We didn't even finish it. And it was like, Mm -hmm. okay, new relationship policy like you're not allowed to go to the video store alone and it was just like a funny thing for a long time um (laughs) but you know video stores have gone the way of the dinosaur Mm -hmm. thanks to netflix i think we've seen it happen it was both slow and fast the way it happened um there's one blockbuster left which people talk about all the time or at least Mm -hmm. in my social media bubble this last blockbuster in bend oregon comes up all the time there's actually a documentary about it which you said you saw recently yes i watched it i think like last weekend uh dustin definitely has been wanting to visit this place for years i feel like they they actually didn't they like rent it out as an airbnb recently yes i kind before the pandemic i think yeah which is i mean i obviously have not been in a blockbuster for a very long time but i remember Blockbuster always had this really specific smell Mm. that I think was a mixture of, like, all that plastic, but also Mm -hmm. all of the movie theater candy that they sold, like, specifically a really strong note of Swedish fish, and (laughs) it would be really weird to try to sleep there. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like someone needs to make a candle of all of these, like, 90s smells, like, like experiences. (laughs) Totally. Like, this is... This is what the blockbuster smells like. This is what the I don't know the uh, Kmart smells like. This is what, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, totally. Goodbye. This is what Woodby. the Shoney's smells like. <laughs> now, now you're talking. <laughs> I don't know. This, this is what an Olive Garden smells like. Um, <laughs> it smells like those delicious breadsticks. <laughs> yes. Yes. Totally. <laughs> Well, uh, I was reading that franchisee Sandy Harding has pledged to keep this last blockbuster open for as long as Dish Network continues to license Mm -hmm. the name to her because Dish Network bought all the intellectual property of Blockbuster in 2011 after it filed for bankruptcy, which is kind of like a bold move since Dish Network is like a weird – like it's not cable. It's like a home – satellite service and it's i i mean i would love to know why they bought blockbuster <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> that's did another you, podcast i guess did you watch the documentary i haven't yet i oh you haven't okay i have so much stuff to watch right now mm-hmm. and just like so little time so all i get to do is watch 30 minutes of 90 day fiance once a day right now so uh i have a backlog <laughs> okay Gotcha. It's actually it's really interesting because, <laughs> because they they like 
they they show how all these people will come from you know all over all over the world to see this last blockbuster mm-hmm. and oh i think they like bought oh i think it's the second to the last b- blockbuster in um in, i think it was but it was in alaska mm, uh, had this yeah. collection of russell crowe's um yes yes i remember this <laughs> <laughs> like Russ, russell crowe's like I, I don't know um uh what, what would you call it like um they costume like a, paraphernalia yeah and i feel like it specifically was like and now things that there. were on his groin or something yes yeah. oh no 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 they did not get that piece like the, the oh. cod piece or whatever <laughs> they didn't get that that was not part of of the traveling <laughs> russell crowe costume oh my exhibit. <laughs> it's very it's very interesting and you know and, the, and they they interview a bunch of people that also worked at blockbusters a lot of like actors and things and I gotta say, you know, some of the people look really, really bad and they clearly didn't have like, you know, hair and makeup or something. And they just like really ragged, even though usually they look really great. <laughs> You're just like, what? really? You couldn't have put a little, little powder on? <laughs> All right. It's very funny. But it's, 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 a, it's actually a really interesting documentary, but I'm kind of, kind of spinning off. <laughs> anyway, okay, well, thank you for calling Janelle and taking us on this very strange walk down memory lane that we just had. And mm-hmm. uh, possibly, well, definitely the first, but possibly the last time we will talk about both Cod Pieces and uh, Deuce Bigelow, <laughs> Male Gigolo, which I do believe had a sequel, by the way. I don't know if anybody's seen it that. It actually did. Probably even more unwatchable than the first one. I mean, one. I don't know if that's possible. That's all I'm saying. If you are listening and you are like, you are so wrong, that is the finest work of film I've ever seen, please – Please call in. <laughs> we want to know. <laughs> okay. Well, our next message is from Gabriella, and she just has some positive vibes and feedback about our movie episode. Hi. This message is for the department. Hi, Kim and Amanda. This is Gabriella Antonis. I've never called in for the department before, but I just had to share that episode 33 is my favorite of all time and I know I messaged saying that I knew that it would be before I even listened and I was right Uh, it was so good to hear about those movies I loved learning a little more about Sofia Coppola than I already had and sideways but most importantly the Wes Anderson thing is my favorite and I'm glad that It was pretty much all positive about that because I love him so much. Um, And I just had to share how much I loved this episode and that I have never seen Emily, but now that you guys broke it down for me, I feel like I'm good and I don't have to, but my ex used to tell me that I would love it and now I get it. And Maybe I would have even been even more of a huge Francophile if I had seen it then, but I ended up being a Francophile in the sense that I'm obsessed with New Orleans, so there's that. Thank you for everything you do. Love you guys. Love the pod. You're so good at it. Have a nice day. Bye. I just want to say I can't believe that Gabriella hasn't seen Amelie yet, and she definitely should. Actually, um, I'm kind of jealous. 
Like <laughs> being able to see Amelie for the first time sounds so exciting. It does, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say go watch it post-haste because mm-hmm. it is so enjoyable and just such a delight. It just it's the kind of movie that it feels good to watch in 2021. It's like the opening scene and you're just like, hmm, what am I getting into? Yeah, and it's so escapist. You know, like Mm -hmm. I've been complaining a lot to Dustin about television programs and movies that take place during the pandemic. And I'm just like, I don't want to see it. I don't need to see a person wearing a mask. I don't want to see a mask. Yeah, I just, Mm -mm. you know what, maybe. I don't want to see a Zoom call. Oh, God, I know. Maybe 10 years from now we'll be like, oh, remember, that was great. But right now I just want to see things that are not reality and Amelie is perfect for that. Yeah. Pandemic nostalgia or something. Can you imagine? We're going to be like, and today's episode is about pandemic nostalgia. (laughs) Where were you? Actually, (laughs) I I, I will, I will be having pandemic nostalgia. I know about like two months after the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I'm already like, uh, I'm not ready to go back to normal. Yeah. I have a lot of anxiety Mm -hmm. about it. There will be no normal. There will only be a new normal. So I know, I know I was eating dinner with Dustin and I was like, I literally don't even know how to eat food around other people anymore. And uh, I don't know what it's like to be in a restaurant and I can't imagine going to a job interview or like just any of these things that were part of day-to-day life. The thought of someone shaking my hand makes me want to throw up. So uh, (laughs) I guess, I guess we'll just, we'll just see what happens, you know, like unlike a lot of people, I don't have this enormous desire to go back to, quote, normal because I just don't think normal was that great. And no. I've realized so much about myself in the last year. Yeah, so me too. I like to be alone, it turns mm-hmm. out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Welcome to my world. <laughs> okay, well, we have one last message, and it's from Lauren, and it's about thrifting. Hey, Amanda and Kim, this is Lauren, not first-time caller. I've called in before, but I was listening to the podcast, and I had a thought that I wanted to ask your input on, and it's about thrifting. And I know that, you know, it seems like over quarantine, like, thrifting has had this huge, like, buildup, and I think that's great. Um, I wanted to get your input on I have this weird aversion when I'm going thrifting that um, if I find something I kind of like, but it's from, you know, like a fast fashion company like Forever 21 or, um, you know, like Lulu's or something along the lines of that, just a fast fashion company, like I'm not about it. And I don't know if anyone else is like that, but I just put it back right away, even if it's like secondhand. I just wanted to know your input if I'm a crazy person or snotty or if I'm not alone in that thought. So let me know. Love you guys. Bye. So Kim, I know you, you don't do a lot of thrifting, right? Like not these days. Yeah. 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 Uh, I totally understand this phenomenon Lauren Mm -hmm. is talking about because this happens to me a lot where I'm at the thrift store and from afar, I see some really amazing vintage print and I'm like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, what is this? And I pull it off the rack and I swear to God, it's always Old Navy. And then I'm like, who am I? There was a period 
about five or six years ago when I was dressing a lot more like minimalist sort of. And a lot of clothes I would pull out at the thrift store would have a Chico's tag. Mm. And that was a weird feeling too. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah. uh, I mean, I think this is something I think about all the time, and it's something that I know a lot of people in the clothes horse community talk about, which is like, will there be future vintage because of fast fashion? And I feel like we're seeing that already at the thrift store. It's like 99.99999% fast fashion. There's so much Forever 21, so much Old Navy. Uh, Lauren brought up Lulu's, which is not a brand I've thought about since I worked at Mod Cloth. That was like one of our competitors, but I do see a lot of Lulu's at the thrift store. So apparently big market out here in central PA. And I guess my feeling on it is like, if you see something at the thrift store and you think it's cute, it fits your aesthetic, you should just buy it and wear it because Mm -hmm. who cares what the label is and like someone needs to get some use out of it. Yeah. Um, But don't buy stuff that you don't like just because you feel like you have to, I guess, you know? Yeah. But- The way you can wrap your head around it, I think, is like we talked about how people are into Juicy now. And in the era when Juicy was first relevant, you and I wouldn't have been caught dead wearing Juicy. And when I see things like Lulu's at the thrift store, I'm like, you know what? In 10 years, people are going to be losing their shit over Lulu's on Depop, Mm -hmm. you know? So this is someone else's future treasure. So maybe take your association with the brand out of the picture and just say, is it cute? Is it like what I was envisioning? Does it fit me? Then buy it. And if it's not, then don't buy it. To me, if I saw an old Navy tag, I mean, it basically is like shopping in a dumpster. Like it's like, (laughs) that's just not, that's not something. That's not something I feel is is valuable just because I I, I don't I, I feel like it's something that's gonna fall apart. Like I'm the kind of person that pretty much, you know, maybe buys four or five pieces of something, you know, a year. Mm-hmm. And then I re- pretty much just wear the same stuff over and over. Right, you know, right. I wear literally the same stuff over and over and over again. Right. Um, right. but I buy I buy just a higher price point and I I don't buy a ton of stuff. And I know that a lot of people like to buy a lot more stuff and just kind of um, you know, recycle things and kind of put them back into the system and are constantly like shaking Mm -hmm. up their, um, their wardrobe a lot. Okay. Question. Mm -hmm. If you took out the label, does it lose value? I don't think so. So so, so why don't you cut out the label? Yeah. Like if the label's bothering you, just lose it. Like it's like mentally take the label off anyway and say, is this something that I want to wear? Because unfortunately the sheer volume of this fast fashion clothing that people are moving through, it's like someone has to wear it and that means it has to be us because otherwise it's just going to the landfill where it's going to take a thousand years to decompose. And what I will say is that generally the clothing that you see in the thrift store here in the United States, no matter what the label is, is actually the creme de la creme of fast fashion because one – it survived long enough to make it to the thrift store and not be thrown in the trash. Mm-hmm. Two, at the thrift store, they actually – they have experts working in the back who are literally combing through all of this stuff and only picking the best quality, you know, most perfect, most unworn clothing to sell you because – only about 20 to 30% of those clothes are going to be sold here in the United States in the first place. So they keep the best stuff. They send everything else overseas where it becomes someone else's problem. Um, so you're not going to see the shoddiest 
fast fashion at the thrift store because it's already been filtered out somewhere along the way. I will say that sometimes when I see Old Navy stuff from the early aughts, it is really, really nice quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but you oh, know, like H and M also. H and M was really thing, good quality thing. in the early aughts. So I guess what we're saying is, if you see this almost vintage fast fashion, it's actually pretty nice because it's also rare. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> like is. We, it there, is. Like there weren't that many stores. It wasn't. It wasn't quite so pervasive. It wasn't. It wasn't. And even I was talking to someone a few weeks ago for Close Horse, who sells on Depop, and she was telling me that like vintage. Forever 21, that being a relative term, because I don't think something is vintage until it's 20 years old. So we're saying like almost vintage, like aughts Forever 21 is actually highly Mm -hmm. valuable on the resale market. One, because it is a much better quality than Forever 21 became, especially if it still exists. You know, uh, I feel like every once in a while you would go to Forever 21 and say 2005 and you would find something like shockingly nice. Uh, that obviously like went by the wayside over time, but the same thing happened with like every other brand. I actually think the fast fashion that was made from 2010 until now is far more concerning to me in terms of quality. Pre-2010, it hadn't Mm -hmm. quite gone off the rails. There is a demand for the Brandy Melville. Oh, Um, (laughs) that uh, is uh, wild to me. (laughs) Yeah. Like you can actually get it for higher a higher ticket than what it originally sold for. I mean, that happens with Zara too, which mm-hmm. is wild to me. Go on to Poshmark and see the prices that people are selling Zara for. Zara's QA is just as bad as anyone else's QA yeah. in the fast fashion spectrum. Like the fit is weird. The quality is strange. The fabric synthetic, all that stuff. But like I said, if it actually makes it to the thrift store where someone can pick it to resell it or you see it to buy – it's the best fast fashion that has been made. Mm-hmm. So maybe that, you know, Lauren and everyone else who's listening, maybe that can be some some solace there around buying it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into today's episode. And like Kim said, today we're going to be talking about online dating. This is our first installment. And specifically today, we're going to talk about the early years of online dating, the granddaddy of them all. Okay, Cupid. To get this online dating ball rolling, we really need to talk about what online dating is right now. So I was telling Kim I found this extremely dry 2020 <laughs> Pew research paper oh. about online dating. I mean, it was literally very P-U. granular. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> super granular. So many charts. I tried to pick the highlights here. Uh-huh. It was like I mean, I'm glad someone did this. It paints a story, but man, it was very granular. It would be like, okay, this is what men said, but then men this age said that, but then men this age and this city said that. It was like so much. Is this like – so this is 2020. Is this like pre-pandemic, middle pandemic, post-pandemic? It seems like it was early pandemic, but um, spoiler, and we'll get to this, Mm -hmm. online dating has picked up even oh, yeah. more during the pandemic, which at first was surprising, but then I was like, yeah, lots of lonely people sitting around. Oh, yeah. I get it, Absolutely. right? People's priorities have changed. Totally, totally. And online dating is so time consuming. Like now's the time you can do it, mm-hmm. you know? So 30% of US adults have at some point used a dating app or website. Mm-hmm. And while that seems really low to me, I really thought it was going to be like 70% or something. 
that's a significant jump from the last time they did this stuff, like from the last time they did the study in 2013 when it was only 11%. Oh. But doesn't 30% feel low to you? Okay, so it's 30% of adults, but is it 30% of literally all adults or the 30% of single adults? Single adults from ages, I want to say 18 to 49. Um, and that makes I thought, sense. I thought like I would see that a lot younger people, maybe like 70% of people in their 20s had done it or something. But mm-hmm. the 30%, it was pretty close to that number for every age group as well. And I bet you anything, like by the end of 2020, that has gone up to like 40% or oh, 50%. for sure. For sure. And like like Kim was just saying, these statistics are from the before times, basically, back when you might actually get to go meet one of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and online dating has taken off. But I'm going to talk more about people's opinions and experiences doing it now. And I would be curious to see how that has shifted during the pandemic. Obviously, no one's gone through and done a, an an intense study like this yet, you know, post, we're not at post pandemic anyway, but like mid pandemic would be interesting to hear. Um, and I don't, you know, like I said, I don't know what's going on with online dating so much right now. And if I think about it too much, I'm going to get anxiety about people being like super spreaders, but it seems that most online dating is just happening online right now. So 12% of the people that they surveyed said they found a long-term relationship via online dating, which is a really small number. So it's 30% of the people. And then of the 30% of people who did it, 12% of them found a long-term relationship via mm-hmm. online dating, which is a very low success mm-hmm. rate. And I'm going to get into that. I see why it's a low success rate with this data, but I also know from my own personal experience yes. and my friends' experiences why there's also a low success rate. Yeah. Overall, a majority of the people surveyed who had done the online dating had a positive experience. Like if like the very first question was like, would you rate your experience positive or negative? Most people said they had a positive experience. But then the survey started to drill a lot deeper into these more complex questions. And that was when a lot of discouraging trends appeared that made you wonder why these pr- people had said in the first place that they'd had a positive experience. So yeah. of everybody surveyed, male and female, all ages, 37% of them, of the people who had done online dating, said someone on a site or an app continued to contact them after they said they were no longer interested or not interested yes. at all. 35% said that they were sent an explicit message or image, which you know, you know what that was. It was dick pic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they were saying they didn't ask for these messages were unsolicited. They didn't ask for them. And yes. 28% were Definitely. called an offensive name. A small percentage, 9% said they were threatened with physical harm. But I'm just going to be honest. Nine percent of people doing online dating being threatened with physical harm is concerning. It's a to big me. number. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Ten percent of people. <laughs> I mean, this right. is like millions of people. That yeah, are online. this is a lot of people. <laughs> Nearly ten percent of a million people. That's a. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, though, all of these numbers were significantly higher for women than men. So the numbers I just gave you were everyone. Now we're going to drill down into women, and then you start to see a very concerning pattern. So 48% of women who use the online dating said that someone continued to contact them after they said no. 
46% mm-hmm. received unwanted explicit messages. 33%, so a third of all Stalkers, the women who used yes, online dating excellent. were called offensive names. Cool. And 11% were threatened with physical harm. Then, so that's all women of all ages, right? But then you drill down into the younger women, ages 18 to 34, and then you get really freaked out because 6 in 10 of these younger women, that's 60%, said someone continued to contact them after they said no. 57% received unwanted explicit messages. 44% were called explicit names. And Almost 20% of them were threatened with physical harm. So basically a majority of young women are not having a great time online dating. And I see people posting screenshots of this kind of shit Mm -hmm. on Instagram all the time. And then it seems like they've kind of normalized it. So yeah, like it's like, ha ha ha. And I'm like, ah, they've normalized it. And the fact that it's digital seems like they feel maybe like there's a little bit of like, distance and a little bit of security maybe and so 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 they can kind of get over it easier and then maybe they have another good good encounter so it balances i guess so i guess so i don't i don't actually know because that's it sounds terrible i don't know either but it it makes sense to me i see the same Mm -hmm. people over and over again posting screenshots of conversations it's it's Mm -hmm. almost always tinder like that I see this. Um, some are people I know and some people are I don't know, but like they make other content that I'm interested in. And I do see them getting called really terrible names. I see them getting really explicit mm-hmm. photos and messages. I see them telling people no and continuing to be harassed. And everybody laughs at it and kind of picks on these dudes because it's always women posting this stuff. But mm-hmm. it's ugly, you know, I don't know if I would be able to handle it. I, I'm too sensitive. I had a weird Trump person trolling me on Instagram last night about Nike. And even though I just knew that they were looking to fight with someone, it was upsetting. I can't imagine someone calling me like a slut or something on Tinder, <sighs> yeah, exactly. you know? When all people surveyed were asked if they felt that online dating had a negative impact on dating overall, about half of them said yes. And um, which you're like, well, that's okay, because the other half said no. But like half of people surveyed thinking that online dating has been yeah. bad for dating as a whole. That's, that's depressing. Yes. I, sh- I mean, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, all that crap. You shouldn't have to deal with that crap. Yeah. You shouldn't have to have that constantly flooding into your face. Totally. And we're going to talk about all of the weird sort of social phenomena and trends that have stemmed from online dating. But I think about how massive of an industry online dating is and the amount of money being made. And I can't think of a lot of businesses where half the customers are like, that sucked. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like it's kind of yeah. it's kind of interesting. Like I Yet they keep trying. I get the vibe that it's like well, do you want to date anyone? Then this is how you have to do right. it. You have no choice. It is. Yeah. So it's like you're forced to buy this thing, mm-hmm. whether it's free or cost money, that you don't actually like in the first place and is going to be primarily really disappointing. And and so, and someone might call you some sort of slur at some point or threaten you. Or send you a picture of their <laughs> privates. Or yeah. Send you yeah. A picture what the of heck? their privates. Like, ew. 
It likely, <laughs> likely will send you. It's very likely you'll get a picture of their privates. Yes. Oh, good Lord. I don't know when men were like, you know what women like to see? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I don't want to see it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see No. I don't want to see it. I, like, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> no. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't make me like you more. <laughs> it actually. No. It, does it doesn't make you effect. more appealing. Yeah. It makes me think like, oh, what the fuck, dude? You're mm-hmm. gross and rude. Um. Well, when current dating app users were asked how the platforms made them feel, most said that they felt frustrated instead of hopeful. So 45% of mm-hmm. people said that they felt frustrated. A much smaller group of people felt hopeful about online dating. Uh, 35% of them felt pessimistic, which was more than the people who said that they felt optimistic. And 25% of people, also a larger number, uh, said they felt ins- insecure, overconfident. <laughs> so oh. just really depressing results. Like, yeah. everybody's feeling like crap, you know? Yeah, exactly. Everyone's feeling like crap because you're kind of, like, pigeonholed into this new system for meeting people because it's just really hard to meet people. And now you got to meet people with this crappy system where people, ugh. Yeah, it's so crappy. And then 71% of people said that they felt people on on these online dating platforms were, quote, lying and scamming. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's just review here. Most people think that online dating has ruined dating. (laughs) Most people feel like crap after they try to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, What were we saying? What did I say earlier? 12% of people actually got into a relationship from doing it. And- most people felt that most of the other people on there were lying and scamming. So mm. cool. <laughs> yeah. Really great system. Yeah. This is the awesome Yeah, really great. System. It's, it's, going, it's going great, guys. Yeah. So an article published in the December 2018 issue of The Atlantic concluded, quote, unless you are exceptionally good looking, the thing online dating might be best at is sucking up large amounts yes. of time. Uh As of 2019, Tinder said that it had logged 1.6 billion swipes a day. Now, there are way more swipes coming down the road in 2020, but that is a lot of swipes. There were only of that 1.6 billion swipes a day, 26 million matches. Mm -hmm. So lots Mm -hmm. of people looking at lots of other people, very few of them actually liking each other. I have to say actually something about that but mm-hmm. there's actually studies on these swiping dating apps the swiping things and mm-hmm. how a lot of these dating apps are actually set up to keep you single and the intention huh. the intention is to get you addicted to the app and i actually know have known quite a few number of people that have have an actual addiction to the swiping and it has the same reward system set up to say like a slot machine so essentially, huh. you're developing a gambling addiction. Um, I mean, this makes the, sense to me. Absolutely. That. So the, it's like it's like the swipe, swipe, swipe. And so people will be on it for hours and hours. And it's set up for you to keep coming back. But it they, they really want you to stay on there. And it's set up like a distilled shopping experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like this crazy, like, it's called a paradox of choice. So there's so many choices. Why would you ever actually end up with anyone 
because there's so many people, you know, like that you might as well just keep looking. So it's like this crazy, just like, like addiction, like choice, like complex, convoluted obsession game, which is why people don't ever settle. It's true. Well, and we're going to talk in future Mm -hmm. episodes about a lot of the strange behaviors that come along with it. But one of the most common complaints that I hear from other people who are it's who are doing a lot of online dating or any really at this point that I also experienced in that very brief window in LA when I was doing online dating is that there are all these people who all they want to do is send you messages and yeah. chat with you like every day. Yeah. For all weeks. day, every day, for weeks, for months, but you never meet them. Yeah. I mean, I remember this one guy who he would text me first thing in the morning and throughout the day I would know what he had for lunch, what he did for dinner, where he was hanging out, what he was reading, yeah. what he was listening to. We literally never hung out in real life ever. They're called pen pals. Oh, it's yeah. so weird. I mean, it's that's like, a whole episode right there, but yeah, it is it's, weird. It's, it's like a conversational – It's like they they get like the, the the relationship of like having someone to talk to without actually having to put in any sort of actual emotional time with this person. Well, with all of this swiping, mm-hmm. about only fifteen percent of this swiping leads to matching. Mm-hmm. And I would really love to see someone. So you know, the matching then leads to like theoretically a conversation. I would love to see the next statistic mm-hmm. be. How many of that 15% of people actually ever hang out in real life? And then the next one, how many of those people actually ended up dating? The conversion rate, you mean? Yeah, it's got to be so low. I mean, it it has to be so low. The add to cart and purchase rate. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's got to be so Uh low. It's got to be so low. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, I haven't online dated for a long time. I'm coming up on my fifth anniversary being married mm-hmm. to Dustin. But I think about how, like, if you go look at Uniqlo one time at something, they email you every day yeah. for the rest of your life about that item. <laughs> Wouldn't it be crazy if Tinder every day was like, hey, remember when you liked this guy? Better mm-hmm. go back and message him. You know, <laughs> like they don't do that. Cause like you said, they want you to come back again. And yeah. the money in online dating is way bigger than I ever thought it would be as I was reading stuff. Like it's a wild, enormous industry. It is. That same article that I read about how basically, unless you're super hot, online dating is just a time suck, was called, Why Are Young People Having So Little Sex? And the thing that made me really laugh is that the URL was the sex recession, which is pretty hilarious. Oh, that's hilarious. But what was interesting about this article and you know, it was all like, it was another one of those like, millennials don't do the sex anymore. After they killed Applebee's, they right. killed sex kind of thing. But it was really interesting because online dating is obviously a big piece of that puzzle. And according to a November 2017 poll conducted by The Economist and YouGov, 17% of, of Americans aged 18 to 29 now believe that a man inviting a woman out for a drink always or usually constitutes sexual harassment. A man inviting a woman out for a drink? Out for a dr- con- yes. Always or usually constitutes sexual harassment. Oh, no. So basically asking someone out is sexual harassment. Among older groups, 
much smaller percentages of people believed that. Wait, do they think that, that that's like in the workplace or just like in general? In general, like if you were at a party and you met someone and they said, hey, would you like to go have a drink somewhere? That would be sexual harassment. And I thought that that was really interesting. But also, we're not 18 to 29, you know? Yeah. So we also dated in a pre-internet dating era. Yeah. But what this basically proves is that it's really, really hard to ask someone out organically. Uh, yeah. You have to be like – it's like you, if you're on the dating app, it means then you're then open to a date. It's basically like having like one of those like those rings. Remember? Like, like, like oh, yeah, if, you've got, yeah. if you wear that – if you wear that like the, the – what is it? It's like the Irish ring or whatever. <laughs> you know, if you, if you wear yeah. the correct ring, it, it means that you're open to dating. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just like that. And I think that is true. I mean, also, apparently, if you're on an online dating app, it also means you're super interested in seeing people, pictures of people's privates. Absolutely. So you're open, it all makes sense. You're, you're open to, to, to seeing privates. Well, and this, I mean, right there, that sort of points to sort of the paradox here, I guess, that it would be sexual harassment to ask someone out for a drink, but it's totally okay to send someone right. like nude pics on Tinder. Because you're on an app and it means yeah. that you're open to dating. It's really crazy. I mean, I would have to say something for us to put a pin in for a future episode is like, how has online dating made consent yeah. more complicated? You know, because it's like, is the assumption that if you are on Tinder, you're like totally DTF or something? I don't know. It, oh, yeah. It's like you are open to anything. Exactly. That is so interesting. Well, so another way in which online dating has made just dating as a whole, getting into relationships more complicated is kind of goes back to what you were saying about how it's like online shopping and how there's such an infinite number of options that why would you just lock yourself down to mm -hmm. one, right? Because something better might come along. A study from that same year as the other one I just quoted found that users of OkCupid pursued people who were 25% more desirable than they themselves were. Now, you're probably asking, how do you measure someone being right. more desirable than others? And that was basically like a ton of data that would show the amount of likes that okay. these people would get. So like- Like someone's a seven? Yeah, and, yeah. And like, and like, they're, like they're dating an eight or something? Yeah, yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. Like saying like, okay, well, 25% of people who saw your photo liked it while you mm. only like people who 50% of people have liked. Mm. So it's once again, like the sort of, there's like a funnel, there's all these people, there's all these matching, but what's really happening is the narrow end of the funnel is the people who are actually getting all the likes and yeah. they're getting way more likes than they know what to do with. And all these other people, it seems specifically men were kind of stuck at the top of the funnel being mad. You know, yeah, the undesirables, the undesirables for whatever reason. Um, right now, Tinder is the biggest app out there. It raked in one point four billion dollars in 2020, which I want to say was about Damn. half of what Nike made. Just wow. for some reference, you know, maybe slightly less than half of what Nike made. But Nike sells like nine gazillion yeah. pairs of shoes every year. This is Tinder a service. Is selling dating. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. It's kind of interesting. That was an 18% increase over 2019 because 
Tinder is saying that the pandemic has significantly Mm -hmm. increased activity on the app. So people updated their bios about 50% more than they did before the pandemic. Conversations on average were 32% longer than they had been pre-pandemic. People, though this one's interesting, talking about all the stuff about like the funnel and the lack of matches, people matched 42% more Mm. often. That's a significant shift. It's like people are That's less, a lot, yeah. they're like, people are window shopping less, I guess. The number of swipes on Tinder broke 3 billion Wow! in a single day for the first time in March of 2020 as the pandemic was shutting everything down. And then it proceeded to surpa- surpass that benchmark 130 more times since then. So Tinder is hot right now. I mean, I was on, I was on, I think, Something like Hinge or something. I, f- I forget. Um, I remember they, they were promoting all of these like um, social distance dating. Like it was like they had to really pivot seriously during this where they, wow. they really wanted to build their audience. They knew that they were getting a lot, but they mm-hmm. had to make sure that they had a lot. They had to be, like really cover their asses where they were having the messaging that was promoting social distancing. So I think that they like installed these like um, video con- video apps where you could have these like online dating yes. and stuff like that. They did that on Tinder. I know that. Okay. So I think that that helped people connect, which is mm-hmm. – it sounds really scary to me to do a video date just because I'm so self-conscious of how I look on Zoom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so weird. So – One thing about dating, online dating, is that whether you're paying for it or not, the company is making so much money off of your data. They get so much more data about you than just about any Mm -hmm. other business that you're involved with. They learn so much about you and what you like and what you're interested in. And so Tinder has been kind of bragging about some of the data they've collected through the pandemic. For example – you know, they have bots that scour your profiles and look for specific terms and phrases being used over and over again. And they have seen how all these profile updates and profile picture updates have reflected the various political and social trends of the past year. Like people started wearing masks in their profile pictures after the CDC recommended wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. People were posting photos and talking about hoarding toilet paper. They were talking about Zoom meetings, uh, people speculating about Carol Baskin, you know, the mm-hmm. woman who from the Tiger King who may have, you know, killed her husband. Lots of people talking about that in their profiles. Yes. Lots of stuff about voting, vaccines, and even Black Lives Matter. In fact, mm-hmm. this is a big deal. <laughs> Bio mentions of BLM grew more than 5,000% yeah. last year, surpassing the most popular term, hookup. By the end of the year. Yeah. Yes. Now, Tinder sets itself apart from the other apps, which, by the way, all the apps, dating apps have been killing it in the past year, by focusing on casual dating, this idea of like dating culture and not looking for a serious thing or settling down because Mm -hmm. there are other apps that will do that for you. And I did some hardcore Googling because I was wondering what are the apps that people go to when they're looking for something serious? Mm-hmm. And I found the same ones coming over up over and over again. The first one is like, I hate this name. Every time I read it, it makes me angry. Yeah. Coffee meets bagel. Terrible. It's Have just, you tried this one? No, no. <laughs> it's the, it, it, I think it's, 
it's far too stupid of a name for me to ever align myself with yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, match, which I feel like mm-hmm. is like what normal people use. Like if you're not a hipster, you might use match. Um, the League, Bumble, mm. something called Elite Singles, which I just feel like is not elite at all. Something called <laughs> Once. Huh. And then OKCupid. Is OKCupid actually for serious relationships? I Well, this is interesting because I was reading a lot of cl- conflicting information about this. Users feel that OKCupid is a good option for finding a serious relationship just because the people there are a little less swipe happy. But OKCupid itself has said, like, we're not trying to sell you a soulmate anymore. We're like trying to go that Tinder direction of you just like having yeah. A good I think time. that they. I feel like they always actually were p- pretty Tindery. I would also argue, and I know you're about to jump into a whole OK Cupid thing, but I would definitely argue that Hinge is really, really great for people looking for a serious relationship because they have really um, awesome. Um, I think that they, they've really developed a really good AI, um, mm-hmm. um, and they they their match capabilities are way more defined so they're not just like serving up whatever which is what most places do they are much more defined well i mean the vibe i get from tinder is like there's no algorithm there that benefits you yeah it's just it's just whatever is yeah yeah area but okay cupid which we'll talk about has been trying to perfect this algorithm for a Mm -hmm. really long time i they may have overworked it it's hard to say um like like Kim said, we're going to be talking about OKCupid today, but I did want to state a few other things that I have learned via the internet, also from episodes of Catfish and just general conversation about dating. So Plenty of Fish is the best platform if you want to be catfish. Uh, it's like really? notorious for it. I, I don't think that's where the name came from, but uh, – it comes up a lot on Catfish and on 90 Day Fiance, and I was doing some reading because Dustin and I for a long time were like, why do all these catfish come from Plenty of Fish? And it's because it's free to make a profile. It's a completely oh. free platform, and I guess it's just – it attracts a people who are maybe a little bit more gullible to this kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, eHarmony is where you go if you're looking to get married, and they have like – the craziest statistics. 71% of women and 69% of men met their spouse on eHarmony within a year. And that is terrifying to me. So eHarmony's success is based on this just exhaustive personality assessment that you must take upon signing up. The other thing is you don't go look at people's profiles and get to swipe. They send you who they have picked for you. And I had read at w- somewhere, and once again, like everything I'm telling you is based on stuff I've read, not my personal experience. I have never used eHarmony, but I have heard and read that if you pass on too many people that they send you, they'll stop. They'll mm. be like, you need to leave the service. Um, wow. And so they'll send you people three at a time, and you're supposed to try to go out with at least one of them. So it's it's for people who are very serious about getting into a relationship. So – You have to take this test when you sign up, and you can be rejected from the service, especially if you aren't religious, you don't believe in traditional gender roles, and you're generally liberal in any sense. I've also heard that there's no proof of this, but if you have any sort of mental health issues, you're also not an option for matching. A friend of mine had heard about this, and so we sat down and took the eHarmony test together, and we were immediately rejected. 
So, <laughs> I mean, it feels almost like a, a close to a traditional matchmaking service. It does. It does. Yeah. Just has has more like I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Um, technology involved and you're going there to get into a serious relationship get married you're not like looking to hook up it seems like it's very popular with older people especially you know my great aunt i was telling you met her husband on there he was a doctor he's actually a real catch uh and they're very they're very happy together you know and everybody just loves him so i think you know it can be a great place depending on where you are in your life and you know what you're Mm -hmm. into Online dating has without a doubt changed dating forever, but it's made it easier in a lot of ways to meet people outside your social circle. And it's a pretty low commitment, low cost situation, especially when you go back in time and you say, hey, how did people meet one another in the 80s and 90s and even the earliest aughts? Well, I remember this was the kind of thing you would see like how to make meet a boyfriend, how to meet your future husband articles Mm -hmm. and magazines. And it would be like, Join some social groups and clubs, do volunteer Mm -hmm. work, go to church, you know, look around at school and work, get your friends and relatives to set you up on blind dates, which sounds like a nightmare to me. Uh, Matchmakers, Mm -hmm. like Kim was talking about, which still exist, they're very expensive. They will find you someone. Personal Mm -hmm. ads in the newspaper were one Mm -hmm. of those things that, like, they clearly were very popular because every newspaper had them, but... I think that there was a huge stigma attached to meeting people that way because the assumption is that you might get murdered. Yeah. Yeah. The personal ads in the newspaper thing was revolutionized by the improvements of phone technology where someone could call a special number, type in the code for your ad, and leave a message for you, hear your outgoing message. Previous to that, people would literally have to write letters to you, which is so intense. Yeah. These ads were really popular in like the free alternative weeklies, for example, like everywhere I lived. And as dating shifted into online dating, a lot of these free weeklies moved their dating service online and it was often run by Nerve.com. And they're like their Mm -hmm. own dating site. And I was thinking about Nerve.com. Well, actually, because... We were t- I was talking to someone who worked at the Goodwill, and they said that they receive an extraordinary <laughs> amount of donated sex books all the time. And Goodwill <gasps> does not accept – like, Goodwill will accept them, but they can't sell them. And so they just kind of store them in the back until they figure out what to do with them. And it made me think of this sex book that we sold at Urban Outfitters. We sold nine gazillion of them. And it was, it was the Position of the Day playbook by Nerve.com. And I posted a photo in our doc for this because I know you've seen this book around and it's so weird. (laughs) I actually don't know if I've ever seen this book. This book was so successful that they made one of those calendars that has a page for every day of the year that you tear off, you know, that you might Mm. see a far side comic on. Okay. Imagine going into someone's cubicle and they've got position of the day calendar. Yes. Yes. Um, another way that you might meet people was missed connections ads. Um, the I saw you's in Portland were a massive thing. Like they're always on the back cover. You'd look to see if someone had seen you. Uh, video dating, which I was unaware existed until I saw it in singles. <laughs> yes. <of laughs> Apparently course. it was pretty big in the 80s and 90s. And 
I wasn't like 100% sure how this worked because this was the era of VHS and it seemed wild that someone would be in the back like editing together all these tapes and like <laughs> sending them to everyone. But apparently I found I found something on Reddit that explained it to me. This person said, okay. before there were dating sites, there were dating services. What many of them did mm-hmm. was have the members record a video introducing themselves. And then in order to view the videos, people would go into that dating services building. The staff would typically give people a v- bunch of videos to look at that they had pre-screened oh. for common interests, oh. much like dating sites do now. But it was done by people rather than computers. Some of these video dating services also would have like real life mixers for the singles, like at their office where you could come and meet other singles. I found this amazing 1987 video dating comp, which we'll share the video on our website. Just hilarious. Everything about it the men, their voices, the way they're dressed. One of them's dressed <laughs> like a Viking or something. Uh, the way they just the things that they say are so disconcerting. So Some of the quotes are, hi, I'm Maurice. I'm an executive by day and a wild man by night. (laughs) Another guy said, I'm looking for the goddess. Are you the goddess? Who's the goddess? A goddess is a woman, (laughs) the woman. It's all women. God, imagine, imagine like eating breakfast with this guy. Yeah, no, it sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. Uh, There was one guy who was like, I don't want to be embarrassed by someone ordering too much food at a restaurant, which he seems like a real piece of work. Yeah, right. Uh, Yeah. Another guy said no hamsters. Like this was so important to him that he had to put it in the video. Yeah. Uh, One guy. Clearly traumatized. Yes. One guy. I've decided that I'm lonely. Mm -hmm. Uh, A co-ed bubble bath is something I've always wanted to try out. Cool. Yes. And this one really makes me uncomfortable. I seek a person that is childlike. Right. I I, I, I like the the person that was like LARPing in like <laughs> in the um uh, what do you call it like the Viking I think it was a Viking, you know, Viking I, costume. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like a professor, right? Yeah. No, he's like a, a mathematician or a statistician or something. Yeah, he's really smart. Yeah, showing up in the Viking costume. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way you you know you make an impression, I guess. I mean, I think also what's super interesting interesting to note is like how dating and marriage has actually really, really changed. You know, just like a few decades ago, people met in high school or college, you know, Mm -hmm. women even just went into the workforce to find husbands. But now people are choosing to marry, you know, like later in life. Women are actually wanting careers. And if you go even more macro, the introduction of the pill and the pressure to immediately start a family is just like not present. So over these past, I don't know, like, 30, 40 years, we've seen the whole dating and marriage dynamic societally shift. So Mm -hmm. not to mention the rise of just technology. So literally everything just totally, completely transforms what, you know, what we're, we've been actually seeing and being fed since, Mm -hmm. since we've been kids is just completely different. It's true. It's true. It's like unbelievable recognizable. Yeah, yeah. And in this video, the guys that we're seeing, I mean, you have to remember that in the 80s, I want to say this video was from 1987. Mm -hmm. If you were a single guy in 1987, the first question would be, what's wrong with you? Right. Right? Because you you should have met someone. Yeah, yeah. Already. In in school? Yeah, yeah, in, in high school or in college. 
Right, right. And so if you're single, it's like, oh, are you divorced? Did your wife right. pass away? Oh, you've never been married at all? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like what's wrong with you immediately? I can't even imagine how bad it would have been for the women. Usually the word loser. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it was such a stigmatized yeah. thing. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that was the thing. Like personal ads, any of this video dating, anything, you wouldn't want to tell people you were doing it because people would be like, what is wrong with you? Like you yeah. can't meet someone in real life. And, you know, right. in that Pew research data that I was talking about earlier, you know, most people said like they don't think that online dating is stigmatized anymore, but they recognized that for a very long time it was. So even though nobody's mm-hmm. having a good time online yeah. dating, everybody accepts that it's just like what you do now. So in 2004, OkCupid burst out onto the scene and the – Rise of OkCupid, the story of it, was not at all what I expected it would be. Um, The founders of OkCupid, they were named Chris Coyne, Christian Rudder, Sam Yegan, and Max Crone, so four dudes, were students at Harvard when they created the Spark and Spark Notes. And Spark Notes were basically, at least then, a free version of Cliff Notes. Yes. So I found... I went into the Wayback Machine. I remember that. Yeah, right. And they're still around. You could, now you have to buy mm-hmm. Spark Notes because they're owned by Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. Um, I went into the Wayback Machine and looked for mm. the Spark.com, and I found a screenshot of what the website used to look like. Uh, and believe this is from 2000. And wow, first off, every time I see something like this, I'm like, wow, the internet used to be so ugly and unappealing visually on in yes. every regard. Like the site it's is so hilarious. hideous. So basically the Spark started yeah. as these a website for these cliff notes, these Sparks notes. But then it sort of turned into this like proto BuzzFeed where they would have a lot of quizzes. Like this this homepage mm-hmm. advertises the love test, the ass quiz, the wealth test, the sex test, the unintelligence test, um, something called the pregnancy test. And a free download called Deliver the Dis, which is your own personal insult software. I mean, it's like so cool. bizarre. It's like kind of like BuzzFeed, but <laughs> really hideous. But also, you can get Cliff's Notes for the stuff you need to read for school. <laughs> like, it's so bizarre. Um, but yeah, so the spark.com featured a lot of these quizzes. And to be fair, based on what I was reading, these quizzes were a lot more real and really like rooted in science than like the BuzzFeed quizzes that we think of that are like, what little pony are you or, you know? What do you think the ass quiz is? I have no idea. I tried to click on it and it took me to a dead end, but I would Mm. love to know. And as you can see on this day in 2000 already, 600,000 people had taken it. So clearly it was good. It feels like a proto for a lot of things that came after it, but that only did one of the things that the spark was trying to do. But so these quizzes were so good and so popular. They also did a lot of these like Myers-Briggs style match tests on there. Mm. And they realized that the interest in taking these quizzes was really leading to a lot of like compatibility questions. So they started spark match and it was Mm. like a, beta experiment of allowing registered users who had taken the match test, one of their quizzes, to search for and contact one another based on their match test results. So it was like a very early personality compatibility algorithm. 
looking at the what this website looked like, it couldn't have been that good. But yeah, but people were into it. So this made them think like maybe Spark Match is where we want to throw our focus. Because in 2001, that was when Spark Note Spark Notes were bought by Barnes and Noble. So they didn't really have that business anymore. And they decided to go really hard on Spark Match and rebrand it as OkCupid. Oh. Now, I read a really strange conversation on Forbes with one of the founders where he said, OkCupid is one of the worst names we've had for any of our products. We feel, He's like, Spark Notes was a far better name. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> thought that was so random. I definitely had no awareness of OkCupid until around 2006 when I was visiting Portland, Oregon, and my best friends signed up for it. Yeah. And back then, creating a profile took some work. There were a lot of these yes. sort of like essay questions that yes. were like, what I'm doing with my life, mm-hmm. I'm really good at, the first thing people notice about me, favorite books, movies, shows, music, and food. It was epic. I epic. remember it was It would be epic. like, yeah, and people would read all of this. The mm-hmm. six things I could never do without, I spend a lot of time thinking about, on a typical Friday night, I am dot, dot, dot. The thing about OkCupid okay is like, yes, you had to put all this work into creating this profile. And you, you really had to work to read other people's profiles because they would be epic. I feel like there wasn't even like a maximum character count for any of these fields. Like you could just go on forever. OkCupid okay was like really fun and kind of like a game because mm-hmm. it combined the cruelty and shallowness of hot or not yes. with a wide array of personality questions that would help improve your matches. And it was for like kind of a younger, cooler. Yeah, it was for hipsters for yeah. sure, right? So in the early days, you would go onto the site, it would show you profiles, and first you would rate the person on their looks, and then you would rate them on their personality. And you would get a message. I remember this because my friend and I sat on the couch seriously doing this for like eight hours one time, just drinking and doing OkCupid because Uh it was hilarious and addictive. If you matched with someone on looks or personality, you would get a message. But conversely, if if you liked someone on looks or personality and they did not like you, you would get a message too. It's like kind of fucked up, right? But very entertaining. Somewhere along the line, the way, OkCupid dropped those separate ratings, just having you give one overall rating, sort of getting a bit closer to that swipe left and swipe right of Tinder. And then they stopped doing the thing where you would get a message that someone you like didn't like you back, probably because people were having a bad time with that. Yes, exactly. It's just a negative user experience. <laughs> right. But OkCupid, at least in the early days, really, really wanted you to find a true match with its algorithm. And there were these questions that you were encouraged to answer. There were more than 600 of them. So you didn't have to do it all at once. But the incentive was that the more of these questions that you answer, the more likely we are to match you with someone. And these questions ran the gamut. They were like, are you vegetarian or vegan? How much can intelligence turn you on? Have you smoked a cigarette? You know, it asked a lot of questions about drugs and alcohol, how you spent your free time, how you felt about gender roles in relationship, mm-hmm. in relationships, um, how important religion was to you. Do you like to cuddle? Um, are you a cat person or a dog person? Even getting as granular as how often do you brush your teeth? Mm-hmm. Ostensibly, your answers combined with all of your rating you've been doing would lead you to these matches and you would get a percent compatibility rating. 
And I don't know if they do this anymore, but at that same time, in the early days, you would get a percent enemy score for each person. So you might, it might be like 90% compatible, 30% enemy, (laughs) which is interesting for sure. And it was like something people would talk about at parties, you know, well, we matched, we were 80%, but then we were 20% enemy. So like, I wasn't sure that felt kind of high, that kind of thing. Uh, there was a man in LA. I read this really long and exhausting article about this guy on Wired. He famously gamed the algorithm because he just wasn't meeting any women at all. He was never matching more than like 70% with any women in LA. And he decided to write all of this code, create all these bots that would harvest data, group women into buckets. Uh, then like and view their profiles enough to get their attention, to get them to rate him, and then further harvest more data that would sort of create the percentage of likelihood that they would like one another. He ultimately found his wife that way. Wow. But the amount of work to get there is wild. (laughs) Um, It was a really intense article. I was like, I'm tired. I like Tinder's not time-consuming enough. Let's do this. Um. OkCupid for so long was harvesting so much data from its users. And I would say, yes, Tinder's getting a lot of data from people right now, like I talked about. But like, think about at, at in its heyday, how much information OkCupid was getting from its users because they had more than 600 questions to answer. Mm-hmm. And all of those crazy long profile questions and stuff, they were able to paint full pictures of all of their users and different types of people. For one year, they had a blog called OK Trends that was literally just all the data and sort of trends that they were seeing amongst the people who were members. I actually remember this because I remember there was one time that they found like kind of one big correlation. And it was between, it it was like kind of one of the only correlations that was like really standout. And it Mm -hmm. was... If you liked to drink beer, between if you were a man or a woman and you liked to drink beer, you were more likely to actually sleep with someone early in a relationship. I remember that. The other one that I remember is that if you were a white male who was really into Twitter, mm-hmm. you masturbated frequently. Oh, <laughs> I know, like that is some very specific data. Yeah. Weird. Data harvesting. That's what it is. That is that is like like how else is Tinder making $1.4 billion? Mm-hmm. Um, there's here's the real twist of this episode though, because we tend to think of all of these dating sites, and there are so many of them, so mm-hmm. many apps, so many platforms for it. We tend to think of them all as being very unique, mm-hmm. very targeted towards specific customers, just not having a lot in common with one another. Well, in 2011, OkCupid was acquired by Match Group, you know, the company that owns Mm -hmm. Match.com. And when I started to dig into this, Match Group owns so many dating sites that you probably think are super different. So they own Match. They own Tinder. They own Hinge. They own I know. Black People Meet, Our Time, which is for older singles. I've actually seen – only happened when I had I, mono a few years that. ago and I was uh-huh. watching I was binge watching Golden Girls on Hulu. Oh. I kept seeing ads for our time. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh they own plenty of fish. 
Another one called Ship, which I've totally seen ads for. Mm-hmm. In total, Match Group owns 22 different dating apps. Wow. There's actually 22 dating apps? There's way more than that. Wow. I remember reading a few years ago, and I couldn't track it down. There are these other dating apps that are very specific, like Christian Mingle mm-hmm. and Farmers Only, which we su- we have seen ads for out here. Um, they say, like, city people just don't understand. That's part of the commercial. Um, oh. Those, there's oh, one, right, 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 wait, right. There's right. one company that owns all of those very specific Mm -hmm. dating apps as well. And so that's one, how massive this industry is, but also J-Date. Yeah. J-Date is owned by the same Mm -hmm. people who own Christian Mingle and Farmers Only and all of that. Like it's all very specific. That actually makes so much sense. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I think that what this all says is like, one, this is a massive money-making industry. Mm -hmm. And two, how different are these services anymore? I mean, I haven't used any of them in a really long time, but I get the vibe that OkCupid and Tinder are extraordinarily similar at this point. Um, what were you saying? Hinge was pretty good. I think Hinge is pretty good. Bumble, Bumble and Hinge are kind of better. They're like the better choice if you're kind of like a kind of hipper person. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and and you're not looking up if you're, you're not like into like a like hookup culture. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're actually kind of wanting to meet someone. <laughs> <laughs> imagine you know? that. Yeah, <laughs> imagine that. Um, I found that that yeah, I found that Hinge um, actually had just a better. I think what the, I'm not exactly quite sure what they do, but I think what they do is they they take a better look at your. Um, your social media and who you follow and they pull more algorithm data on the people, like the people in your circles Mm -hmm. and then they kind of match you towards that data. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they just kind of, yeah, they're they're kind of target, they kind of target you closer to um, people that you would um, like more. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly, honestly, but I just found that the the quality of people was just a lot better. And I met, you know, I met my cur- my, my boyfriend now mm-hmm. on Hinge, mm-hmm. you know. So, am I remembering this incorrectly? Or in the early days of Tinder, was Tinder really closely linked to Facebook? So, like, you would only see people who were like mutual friends of your Facebook friends, or am I like remembering something else? I kind of think that was Hinge originally, but I could be, it could have been Tinder. I don't remember. I I never, I never was on Tinder. Oh, Facebook has its own Facebook dating right now. Good, good luck, Facebook dating. I can't even imagine what a shithole that would be. (laughs) Mm. Um, It's it's basically just their, their used, um, their marketplace, you know. They just turned it into like, for people, just Um, humans. (laughs) I use Tinder very briefly when I lived in LA and uh, only because someone that we worked with at Nasty Gal found her husband on Tinder, which has got to be a fucking miracle. But she was basically like, listen, I made it my second job to find someone. So she would meet someone for coffee after work, then go have drinks with someone else, have dinner with another person, possibly have drinks again. So have two, three, four Tinder dates Mm -hmm. every day day four months until she found him 
And she was like, that's what you have to do. And I realized pretty fast, like two days into it, that like, I'm just not that person. Like, I hate it. Exactly. Um, And I I can't even imagine now in like 2021 being like, I'm going to get really serious about finding a husband on Tinder because I feel like it's gotten even more hookup-y than it ever has been. It's, I mean, Tinder is just, I I actually take it back. I think I actually did try Tinder for like a couple days and it, not only was it just, it, it was really hookup and I, I felt that immediately um, because obviously people were immediately trying to just do hookup stuff. And I got so scared. This was like years ago. I just was like, oh my God, this is horrible. And I immediately deleted it and was just like, this is so terrifying. Um, but like, I, you know, with like, with like Bumble, you know, like you, it gets like, you get totally obsessed and you get like, like that swipey thing mm-hmm. is so like just compulsive and you do get sucked into it. Like you get a glass of wine. Good luck. You're just like, you're in there. You're in there all night. That's what you're doing. You oh, know? Yeah. Like it- oh, for sure. I, for sure. I remember at one of my jobs, you know, one of my coworkers was doing one of those and we would just sit at the bar after work and swipe for her because it was so wildly oh, entertaining to us. So wildly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I get it. And it is like when you started to talk about it being more like online gambling, I was yeah. like, whoa, you and are like shopping right. for, for men. Yeah. yeah. Wait, yeah. way to make it fun or shopping for women, you know, like Ugh. whatever it is. Ooh, how fun. Yeah. Well, but- the thing, I mean, I, not to sound like a, a grandma here, but the thing about online dating is that someone might have a great profile, they might be really cute in their photos. You don't know what it's going to feel like to meet them. And most of the time, Mm -hmm. the chemistry is just not there. I mean, one of the advantages of meeting people in real life, not that it's easy to do that anymore, is that you can sense that chemistry pretty much instantaneously. But it does mean that you might end up dating someone who wouldn't have a good profile picture (laughs) on Tinder or a very interesting profile at all, but like you just connect with. And let me tell you, I've dated some guys who I've been very into and had very intense relationships with, who I would have never swiped on on Tinder. Yes. <laughs> so yes. it's it's just complicated, right? Like, I think that that was the disconnect for me with the tiny amount of online dating that I did, where I just would be like, this person seemed great on paper, on my phone, if you will, but then I met them in real life and I just didn't feel anything. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, you know, I, I'd listened to a couple of podcasts um, about like dating, just I was about, you know, it was like, like a sociologist talking about it and they were saying to actually stay away from online datings because they, it's, it's set up for failure, you know? And yeah, like, so it's such a bummer because you're just like, well, how the hell? And they're like, Oh, just, you know, drawing clubs where of, of things, you know, that you enjoy doing. And, and I'm like, well, I don't know. I like to shop. And I, I, I like, like, <laughs> like, I feel like it's, I just like things that, you know, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, trust other- me, I wasn't meeting dudes at the kitten shelter. Exactly. You know? Exactly. You know, you're like, well, how else are you supposed to find me? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the kitten thing, shelter. you know, like I, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this in future episodes, but something that I had noticed when we moved back to Portland, from, you know, from LA, I noticed almost immediately how online dating had changed Mm -hmm. the way people interacted at bars and clubs and stuff. You know, if you go back in time to 
Ots Portland, that is where you would meet people. You know, you might be drunk, but you would meet them. You might go home with them and regret it. But like, that is how you met people out, right? Or at parties. Yeah, you you talk to people. Exactly. Right, right. And I noticed more and more that like, we'd go out for drinks, we'd go see a show and people only talk to the people they came with. It was no longer this like, mingling around and sort of trying to see who was out there. I remember this one specific night in the pre, well, when internet dating was still like a tiny thing in Portland, going out with a bunch of my dude friends, I was the only girl. And I swear to God, Kim, we went to like 20 places in one night because we would walk in, they would walk around, they wouldn't see any girls they were interested in. And then we would immediately leave. And it was like so (laughs) infuriating to me. (laughs) But I don't think that happens now, you know? Yeah. I think that that is so interesting. Because they go shopping online. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's really sad. I really think I, I really, what sort of societal shift do we have to do to bring it back to more in person? I have no idea. I mean, I mean it's like, I, I don't know, because I think, like I said, I think too that dating, ha- dating sites have muddled the concept of consent and it's like to some people you signing up for an online dating site means you're like ready for anything and that certainty doesn't exist well first off that certainty doesn't exist on online dating anyway it's terrible for someone to go in with that attitude but that certainty definitely does not exist in real life like you actually have to have conversations with people and ask them how they feel and, you know, read the room, read the body language. And there's a lot of art and nuance to that. And my concern is that we we're all forgetting that. I mean, is, are most people just like single or just, it's like, what's the percentage of people that are single now versus the people single 40 years ago? Because it's just like, it just seems like just, there's just more and more people that are single. And is it more, I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to just, wrap my head around it because I know that there's a lot of girls that, you know, out there, they're, you know, looking for, for guys. And it just seems like the, the pool of guys interested in actually being in a relationship seems to shrink. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. But conversely, I would hope, I mean, I know there's still a lot of this bullshit out there on like blogs and stuff that like, you know, you need to find a husband, all mm-hmm. of that. But I think in general, more and more women as well are like, I'm actually pretty happy on my yeah, own. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a nice place to be because, you know, like I said, going out with 10 of my guy friends and having to go to like 20 venues just because they couldn't find anyone they wanted to meet was sort of disheartening. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, couldn't we just like go out and have fun to have fun? Yeah. Why does it have to be all about meeting people? Uh I, I think that maybe we're all starting – and I mean, I think the pandemic is going to have so many ripple effects for That's a long interesting. time. interesting. Yeah, totally. On how we deal with people. But like I wonder – I think there are some people who are going to be like, holy shit, I can never be alone again. I must mm. go find someone right now. And I think there are other people who are going to be like, wow, I found like a sense of peace and happiness on my own. And you know, where I did a lot of divorces. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm already like waiting to see where those chips land with people. Hmm. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of divorces in the next year. Yeah. Well, that concludes our first installment of our internet online dating mini series. Please send us your stories. We want to hear them. Hopefully we've inspired you tonight. Maybe you have 
some opinions or answers to the questions we posed tonight. How are how are you planning to date in the future? Do you care about it? <laughs> <laughs> Do you care about it? Yeah, just let us know. So until next week, I guess. Thank you. Bye. Bye.